I'm armed with experience. I went through this. I almost didn't survive it. And now that I'm out on the other side, I'm not going to stop talking about it. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and this season of our podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Zero, the end of prostate cancer. We will build upon the Promoting Health Equity in Cancer Care virtual workshop hosted by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which was co-chaired by Gwen Darian of NPAF and Reggie Tucker-Seely of Zero. We are excited to kick off this season in a unique way. Instead of our normal dialogue type of format, you'll hear a monologue from the guests for the first two episodes, where they will share how the impacts of sexism, ageism, homophobia, and structural racism have really influenced healthcare access and delivery for them. Here are their stories. My name is Adrian Moore and I'm an endometrial cancer survivor, and now I am an endometrial cancer patient advocate for black women all across the country. I also work as a director of peer support for the SISTER study, which is a social intervention study that measures how social support during endometrial cancer treatment can change the quality of life for black endometrial cancer survivors. And this is my story. When I was 32, I thought I was pregnant. I thought my body was giving life, giving birth to what was going to be this beautiful creature um, that I was going to care for for the rest of my life. And um, it turns out that what I actually had was an ovarian tumor, which was a stage one ovarian cancer. Now, I didn't know much about cancer then, and in 2003, the internet was very early. Anything you Googled came up with um, this five-year survival rate. And I'm thinking in my head that I had five years to live. So I equated that terminology with my lifespan, and I, And I tried to wrap my head around why was it that there wasn't more information out there about this particular cancer. Um, When my doctor told me about it, it was kind of very glib, like, you know, you're very lucky it was early because usually it's pretty deadly. And, you know, I took it very seriously. But um, after my five-year, that five-year span of having... um, going in and out of your doctors to just check to make sure that there was no continued cancer happening, I more or less moved on. Um, And just about in 2015, I worked and my whole life, um, I had a 20-year career as a respiratory therapist in healthcare, taking care of people everywhere. And in 2015, I lost my health care when the Affordable Health Care Act started because I could no longer afford to pay for it. 
See, because if you went by your income, you didn't get a lot of assistance. Um, so I think it was me. It meant well. It meant it was a very well-meaning um, uh, try at getting everyone access to healthcare. But what it actually did was it kicked a lot of people out, and I was one of those persons. So I went from the year 2015 throughout that year and throughout the year of, well not throughout the whole year of 2016, but up to 2016, I went without healthcare. And that went, that meant I went without well woman visits. During this time period, I was experiencing a lot of pain during my um, periods. I missed periods. Um, if I had periods, they were very heavy. And because I couldn't afford to go to a doctor very often, when I did go to them, I was kind of like, look, you know, I had this history of cancer and I'm experiencing all these different things that's happening during my periods. Um, and is there something I should be concerned about? And the answer was always, well, you had an ovarian cancer. More than likely, your treatment left you sterile. It left you uh, perimenopausal. So these things are to be, to, to be expected. I go to a, another doctor, and it's kind of like, oh, well, you have an ovarian cyst. And black women are known for having fibroids. See, you have one. It's really small, so we don't have to do anything about it. For me, that didn't really answer the question of what was happening. Why, why was it that um, I could not get a handle on my cycle? I couldn't predict it. Um, it, it left me ill, uh, unable to work, and consequently, I lost my job. As a healthcare provider, I lost my job because I couldn't afford healthcare. To me, it was just a, a comedy of errors. Um, however, I did and I was able to secure another position as a respiratory therapist where they gave me um, health care day one. And on that day, and I don't want to be too, um, too graphic, but on that day that I got health care, I also got a cycle that started so heavy and did not end for three to four weeks. But by that time, I was able to call now a gynecologist and say, I think I got a problem. Now, I go to them heart in hand every time. And this time I just know it's gonna be different because guess what? You know, I have this healthcare card that says, hey, you can treat me now, right? This was my this was my end to get the care that I needed. Maybe they was gonna hear me that they weren't just gonna dismiss what I was telling you about what was happening with my body. I don't I, I, I went with my medical records from 2003 to let them know here's proof that I had cancer. I never equated that I could actually have another or a different type of gynecological cancer. That never even entered into my mind. But I'm speaking with this particular gynecologist and they sent me for an ultrasound. They came back like, well, okay, you need an endometrial biopsy. So it's not my ovaries? No. 
you need an endometrial biopsy. I'm like, okay. I had that biopsy done, um, and let's just say that they told me that they would um, get back to me in five days. On that fourth and a half day, when they called and asked me to come into their office, I knew what they were asking me to come into their office for. I just didn't know anything about this thing though called endometrial cancer. So I've gone, I, I, I got this diagnosis and now I have to go through treatment and now I have to um, resolve myself to either living or dying, right? One or the other. It was a late stage, I was a, a stage um, 3C endometrial cancer and though the outcomes for um, for endometrial cancer look good for a lot of women, I learned this word called disparities. The internet had caught up with my curiosity. So now when I started looking I saw this big headline about black women dying of endometrial cancer. And I'm like, wow, guess what? I'm a black woman. I had all of these symptoms leading up to my diagnosis. And I just felt that all of the, the people that I, that um, I engaged with during this time when I was experiencing these problems, they were willing to let me die. Because even though I did not have the curiosity about endometrial cancer at that time, these were healthcare providers who should have known that these symptoms were associated with a cancer that was killing black women at higher rates than any other populations. Right? But that didn't happen. And I just wanted to know why. It made me mad. It made me so mad. My, my life was worth so much more than that. So, um, just by accident somewhere, I was looking through a, uh, the internet and it was in 2000, about 2018. I was just finishing up treatment, and there was a, there was a, uh, there was a questionnaire that came up. It said, "Are you a black woman who has endometrial cancer? Can you take this survey? We'll give you a $25 gift card." Well, I took that survey, and that survey was with Dr. Kimmy Dahl of the University of Washington, Seattle. She was doing a study on why she was beginning to start at the, that time, beginning her, her investigation into black women dying from endometrial cancer. And I, just like I'm doing with you here, I started talking to her on the phone about my story and I'm saying, I don't know why people weren't listening. I'm yelling, I'm screaming, I have this cancer diagnosis. Doesn't, do they equate? I mean, does this, does this happen often? And she's like, yes, it's happening all the time. And I wouldn't call you lucky. You, had, you just got in 
at the nick of time. Wow, that was incredible. And at the end of that phone call, she said, would you like to be on the steering committee of the Endometrial Cancer Action Network for African Americans? And I'm like, sure. I had no idea what it was, but I knew I needed to be a part of it because I was only one person. And if I was one person having these problems, there are millions, thousands of black women out there who are probably experiencing the same thing. And some of them have died. And if I had been lucky and blessed enough to live, then I need to be able to use my voice to speak for them because they can't speak for themselves anymore. So when we talk about showing up and what it looks like to be a black woman, woman in the healthcare system. When you show up with all your history and then you go in front of them with all their knowledge and all their knowing about what your risk factors are. Why isn't it, why is it so hard to communicate to us that these are the things that I need to do for you so you can live? To be constantly dismissed, to be sent away, to come back three months, come back in three months, come back in six months, when you don't have access to health care, transportation, the finances to do so, guess what you don't do? You don't come back in three months. You don't come back in six months. Sometimes it could take you, like myself, a whole year. And at the time at the end of that year, now you find yourself at the fight of your life. And I'm just happy and grateful and blessed that my fight brought me to advocating for black women with endometrial cancer, to advocating for survivorship, to advocating for just increasing our access to all the things that other persons have in the healthcare system that's keeping them alive. I want our lives to matter just as much as theirs. So the only way to do that is to talk about it. So let's talk about what we can do to increase survivorship for black women with endometrial cancer. First, stop talking about us without us. If you're having conversations about how we're going to accrue black women in clinical trials for endometrial cancer, and you have black women in the room, ask them, ask me, how would I like to be approached about being in a clinical trial? How would I like to help learn more about how endometrial cancer affects black women, how the treatment for endometrial cancer affects black women. Because guess what? I don't have the, I, I don't have just opinions. I'm armed with more than just opinions. I'm armed with experience. I went through this. I almost didn't survive it. And now that I'm out on the other side, I'm not going to stop talking about it. So, It's just so funny that I always felt that this body of mine kind of mm, just betrayed me, right? My, 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 this, my wound betrayed me. This wound that was supposed to give life 
to a child, you know, because that's what we do, right? We're women, you know. Reproductive justice is all about um, making sure we have access to birth control, people on um, birth control, and and uh, and birth equity, you know, so that we live in in during childbirth and then our children survive childbirth. But in the middle, somewhere. There are women like myself who never get the opportunity to have children because we have these cancers that happen to us. We have these reproductive issues that check all the boxes that say that black women are all the same. You all have fibroids and that's why you're experiencing heavy periods. you're, you've, you've had a history of this and that's why you're perimenopausal. That's not the solution. The solution is not to dismiss my experiences. The solution is to embrace it, learn from them, listen to me when I'm telling you about my own experience because that's where you're gonna find your answers. You're gonna find your answers by listening to the people who have gone through the problems. There's just a great need for discussion around equitable reproductive care and access to all of these things for black women. And I wanna be a part of those conversations. And I am Adrienne Moore, and this is my story. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.